Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Living free. Ah, welcome. Uh, this is the Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio, 855 on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. Hi, I'm Bill, and I'd like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, traditional owners of the land from which 3CR transmits people-powered radio. I'd like to pay my respects to the elders past and present and to acknowledge that this land was stolen, sovereignty was never ceded. Each week on the Living Free Show, we showcase one of the many programs that assist in recovery from drug, alcohol and gambling and food addictions. Our guests share their recovery story and highlight that shared experience saves lives. Uh, This week, I'm joined by Matt, who's recovering from alcoholism with the help of Alcoholics Anonymous. Welcome, Matt. Hi, Bill. How are you going? Good, thank you. That's good. Um, Matt, we usually start off by talking about growing up and the things that influenced us. Mm-hmm. And so I just wondered if you'd like to share what life was like for you growing up. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so a little bit about my childhood. Uh, I grew up, I've got a, a twin sister. Uh, so from memory, there's a lot of faded memories there. But um, So there was myself and my sister, uh, mum and dad, obviously. And what life was like growing up, we went to, to good schools, a good primary school, and my memories are I was involved in uh, tackers, so I played football from the age of about six uh, and started little athletics when I was about seven. Now, my father was a, a lead guitarist in a band, so more often than not, I've got a lot of faint memories of uh, my mother taking myself and my twin sister uh, to a lot of gigs that my dad would play, and he'd play them regularly. Uh, so I'd go there and I think just observe other adults and how they behaved and, and those sort of behaviours weren't weren't always, in retrospect, great. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and also further to that, uh, my mum and her family are well affiliated with a, a local football club. So I was more often than not uh, around the football club on weekends also. So it felt like my social aspect as a child was based around hanging around adults. Now, I'm talking around the age of, you know, anywhere from five to six that I remember. Yep. And I remember feeling that sense of safety and appreciation as a child. You know, I'd go there and there'd be all this um, admiration and attention of all, all these guys at the footy club and they'd always be happy to see me. And I, I remember that feeling really good. Yep. And I was a little bit of a cheeky, cheeky boy, you could say, and... <laughs> You know, back in, in those days, I'm 42 now, and, and back in those days, you know, I remember asking players for sips of their drinks and things like that, and at that stage, most of the players were already inebriated and uh, would offer that to me freely, and, you know, my, my mum mentions now that, um, I, I don't remember this, but <clears throat> mentions that um, I was around the age of seven when I actually first became drunk. Ah, oh, right. Uh, yeah, yeah, so I'm not sure if that's... Uh, great parenting or not but um yeah you know so it's alcohol was introduced to me from a very young age uh without even really knowing the the effects uh so did your mum and dad drink uh 
They didn't have an issue. Uh, yep. my, my father didn't drink. He, um, he grew up with an alcoholic mother. Uh, so it was very seldom that I, I saw my dad drink. Mum was just now and then at the football. She might have two or three beers and, and that was it. But it was I never grew up, grew up around uh, alcoholism or addiction. Yeah. Mm. Well, that's, that's, that's a positive, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So how would you describe your childhood, you know, friendships, going to school, all those things? Mm. From memory... I, sports was my outlet, you know, um, I was very good at running, uh, so I was into school sports and, and I found that that was my way of, of coping with, uh, I guess, the, the lack of emotion and feeling that I wasn't getting at home. In terms of relationships, I, I feel like I had a, I was social, I was a happy kid, I would easily connect with people. Yeah, um, yeah I, I don't remember there being any major issues at yeah. that age yeah so yeah. You, you talked about not being close so which parent was mm. was not were you not close to yeah I, I think it was more my father yeah he'd grown up in uh my father was from a a, a strict italian family yeah. and i guess he he grew up with his own traumas and uh, neglect lack of connection from his father so I guess my dad was a very reserved man, uh, very disconnected from himself, and in turn, you know, as a derivative, I, I would feel that from him. Yeah. Uh, whereas my mum would overcompensate; um, she would show affection. Um, looking back now, like a, enabling behaviours, enabling behaviours. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I know them well. <laughs> keeping secrets from him so he wouldn't get up angry and things yeah. like that. Okay. So. Yeah. Um, so, were you good academically at school? I didn't like maths. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I was. I was. Uh, I found that, look, I, what I was interested in, I was good at. What I, I wasn't interested in, I wouldn't really try. I, yeah. I would more be the, the class clown, yeah. uh, tension reduce, want to have a laugh, want to be that cheeky cheeky kid in the classroom and and that was a bit of an identity that I, I formed for myself and found yeah. that um it was a way to connect with people but also get away with stuff as well to be that that cheeky kid yeah does that make sense yeah 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 push the boundaries yeah yeah, yeah pretty yeah, much yeah so what about your relationship with your twin sister it's been it's been dynamic. Uh, I remember when we were kids, we were very close, always hanging around together and spent a lot of time together. Uh, we'd either get along or argue. Um, there was a lot of... How do I explain it? Look, my, my father would show my sister a lot of attention because my sister was musical. Yeah. Uh, so there's a little bit of envy around that and I became more of a closer with my mum because she was into sports and that's what I was into. So there was it felt like there was that unspoken divide, just due to hobbies and interests and yeah. uh, with my sister there was it it's been a bizarre relationship. Like we've never been the type to uh, particularly as teens and adults to call each other, say, Hi, how are you? Do you want to make yeah. your coffee? Like there's still that um that fractionedness. Yeah. I could say. 
I don't think it's all that unusual for parents to have a not so much a favourite child, but to get on better with one child than other children. Mm. Uh, I know yes. it happened in my family. Um, mm. I think I had a better relationship with my mum, and one of my sisters had a better relationship with my father. Mm. Um, yep. And I think it's it's just it is about interest, but it's also I guess a um, what a preference. You know, if you like, with, yeah. with people like like friends, like outside the family, you know, you you, you choose some people and you don't choose others. Yes. Um, so I guess growing up then, um, did things change once you left primary school? Yeah, they did. They did. Um, you know, I should also note that when I was younger and in primary school, like I started to engage in some bad habits you know I would um you know if I was shopping with mum I'd put a chocolate in my pocket and and things like that so I remember that um those sort of tension reducing behaviors started even before alcohol had entered the scene and I remember when I got to high school it was definitely an eye-opener you know having to to navigate and find my place in the world and uh, at that school, I went to an all-boys school, you know, so there was that, um, I guess, ego and bravado even in year seven, you yep. know, trying to yep. find ways to protect myself and present some sort of image that, that wasn't necessarily true of myself. And I'd formed an, an identity for myself where, look, around that age, Tupac was my, my idol. Yep. You know, I was into yeah. rap music and things yeah. like that. Um, yeah, so I, I guess I, I tried to form this image of myself that I was tough and uh, that I knew people and, and just a, a false image of myself because it, I was so insecure. Yeah. Yeah. So that um, keep you mentioned your mum sort of protected you by keeping secrets from mm. your dad. Um, yes. That's a, that's a pretty common um, way of learning how to lie and tell stories and mm. make up stuff so did that yeah. you're well on the way to to that anyway but yes. um did that enable you you know you, you mentioned before about enabling so did that enable you to sort of feel a bit more brazen that you could get away with it absolutely absolutely i, I learned that secrets were a way to avoid trouble a way to avoid conflict a way to be ex well, not exposed. I uh, also learnt that with my mum, um, behaviours would come out in terms of I would either, if I wanted to get my own way, I would either be charming, uh, yep. I would manipulate. If that didn't work, I would stamp my feet, I'd get angry, I'd play the victim and I'd try different, um, different behaviours and then... Mum would always end up giving me what I wanted, and um, and not telling my dad. So, as a child, did you have lots of money? No, no, no. We didn't. Uh, look, we were we were okay, but um, yeah, not comfortable by any means. And I've got memories of the start of high school. There was um, one of the other guys there. He had a, a pair of Reebok pumps and. I remember giving him some pocket money at lunchtime just so I could wear his shoes for half an hour. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, yeah. And that, that memory only came back not that long ago. 
And I remember being envious of other kids and, and feeling like I was less than and not enough and, and missing out on a lot of stuff. And I feel like that's where a lot of the the learnt behaviour of um, stealing came into it, stealing from shops and whatnot. And yeah, I've, I've got um, yeah some memories of that yeah. for sure. So sort of looking back then about missing out, so what... What was the feeling? What did you think that other people had more than you, or you needed more than you had? I feel like people had more. Yeah. I feel yeah. like people had more, and I felt, you know, ultimately I felt a sense of despair and confusion, you know, and I would hear stories and go around to friends' places and see how their parents interacted and how they treated my friends, and it felt loving, and I didn't have that at home. Mm. You know, and I guess for me it was, I didn't know how to process those emotions and and those mm. thoughts, so I guess ultimately I felt a little bit different. I remember as a kid going around to other people's places and, and you know, their mother, you know, being effusive in giving them drinks and food and things like that after school. Mm. And at our place, mum worked and, you know, we went home to an empty house, if you like. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I was always envious of that myself yeah yeah, yeah. So it has a has a lasting impact on you i think it does yeah. yeah yeah um did you invite people back to your place i did i did and it was never for long like we'd um go back to my place um i had a my best mate at the time we um we'd more often than not after school we'd just jump on our push bikes and and just go off and the, the rule was just be behind by dark and so there was no real accountability i guess and um it's good in a way having that freedom yeah yeah um, yeah it, it is it <laughs> is like my my father was very um he was very strict like i, I was fearful of him yeah i was fearful of him mm. and you know, it's very strict uh, academically. It's like, you need to do this. And if he wasn't pleased, he'd send me to my room and, and things like that. And, and I wouldn't go to my room to to study. I'd, I'd just go to my bedroom and become resentful and listen to rap music and, and just build anger, really. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Not a good... No, no. Not a good start. Not healthy. No. Um, so, you know, being, you know... 12, 13, 14. So mm. were you looking for alcohol at this point? I would say, yeah, yeah. It was, it would, it was definitely feeding the risky behaviour that I was already involved in. Uh, my parents uh, smoked cigarettes, so I was starting to steal cigarettes when I was about eight or nine. Uh, my dad's dad, uh, my nunu, he would, um, you know, give me sips of his wine and um, puffs of his cigar and things like that uh, when I was around eight or nine years of age. So, yeah. you know, I'd sort of had the, the flavour for it and initially I didn't like it. But then once I, I got to that age of wanting to be cool, I guess, and, um, you know, it would also feed the image that I was presenting to the world. I'd start to steal alcohol from home and go down to the park with my best mate and have four cigarettes hanging out of the mouth and a can of, be- can of warm beer, and we, we thought it was so cool. Yeah. Uh, that's classic, uh, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so what was your first 
time you had alcohol that it made a difference to you? I was around around 10 or 11. Yep. Around 10 or 11, yeah. I remember down at the park, we'd um, taken some warm beers out of the garage at home and, and shared them with a friend. And, you know, that feeling of... It was like a feeling of, of warmth and lightheadedness all in one. And we were laughing more and stumbling around and, and being fools. And it actually, it, it felt nice. It felt nice. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's often the feeling, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And I, I wanted more of it. Yeah. 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 Okay, well, so we might take a short break. Um, we've got a song. This one's called um, Help Is On Its Way by Little, Little River Band. Charlie. 
Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children aged three and four can access 15 hours per week of free kindergarten. In a kinder program, children learn through play, art, music and dance. Qualified teachers create culturally safe places for Aboriginal children and families. Koori kids shine at kindergarten. Find out more at vic.gov.au forward slash koori-kids-shine. Authorised by the Victorian Government, Melbourne. A 3CR supporter. Every Wednesday at 11am, join me, Bunzolini, at the fire in Community Radio 3CR. Three hours of historically informed, critical analysis of Aboriginal affairs and the ongoing political movement for land rights, treaty, sovereignty and the cessation of genocide. Featuring the best of black music. Bundles Fire, 11am to 2pm, every Wednesday on Community Radio 3CR. Welcome back. Uh, this is the Living Free Show on 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. If you'd like to listen to one of our many podcasts, uh, you, then you can find us at your preferred podcast platform or just Google 3CR Living Free and check out our website. You can also contact us via phone, email or Twitter. Uh, today I'm talking with Matt and we're talking about alcoholism and his recovery through Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, so Matt, before the break we were talking about getting a, a taste for alcohol around 10 or 11 and yep. having it warm warm you up and make you feel lightheaded and happy. Yes. So yep. how did that experience colour the rest of your um, school years, I guess? Mm. From then, I would... Well, once I had the taste for it, um, life progressed... Not, not in the best fashion. So I found that um, not long after that, I was uh, introduced to marijuana, so I started smoking weed. Um, you know, I found that I was doing that at, on weekends at parties with friends, um, lying to parents and uh, telling them that we were going to sleeping at a friend's place and then we'd just go to a park and, and things like that. So everything progressed um, very quickly. I also found that within that to to fund the, the alcohol and uh, drugs, so to speak, and this is around 14, 15, you know, myself and, and mates would get up to no good to, to try and get some money and try and manipulate people to, to give us money. And ultimately, just due to the challenging environment at home, uh, I never wanted to be there and started to hang around uh, there was there was a street gang and so started to hang around with with all those guys and found that um, I found comfortable and I felt comfortable in a, a sense of safety around unsafe environments. Yeah. And it was a great way for me to to forget what was happening internally for me um, to fuel the alcoholism um, that risky behaviour and to get 
basically to, to get what I wanted, what I felt like I, I'd missed out on, but it was more in the terms of just acting out and, and getting drunk. And the crime side of things started to progress, so at around 15 we started to break into cars and and things like that, and, you know, the more serious stuff. And not long after that, my, my father passed away suddenly when I was 16, and mum went through her own depression and... Um, became or made an attempt on her her own life around that time and for me I just felt really um just really confused and gutted you know I just lost my my rock so to speak uh even though we didn't get along great and yeah. then um the only parent left was you know that happened and so I guess for me that that added to my spiral and so I got engaged more in crime a lot of appearances before the judge and uh, it was like I was living a double life because I was still continuing at school, but uh, my attention wasn't at school. You know, I started dealing at school and, and drinking at school and, you know, things. I, I stopped playing uh, athletic uh, footy and stopped doing athletics and my image and sole priority was just to go to parties, um, girls, fights, alcohol and drugs. And, and that became my life. Um, you know, it was fun. Uh, then it was fun with problems, and then it was just complete problems. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And um, I got to a stage where, you know, as I got older, I would get a get a good job. You know, an intelligent guy, a lot of potential. I would get a great job, but just wouldn't be able to hold it. You know, I would start to become uh, dishonest. I'd be affected, um, calling sick all the time, and, and people were starting to see through my lies. Yeah, you know, as they so, do. <laughs> yeah, you know, I thought I had them all convinced. So how, how could you not believe that story? You know, and um, it, it got to a point where, um, you know, Monday mornings, everyone had been the, making a coffee first thing at work, t- talking about their weekends and things like that, and I'd hear someone else's story, and then I'd just mimic that to someone else. It's like, oh, yeah, great weekend. Went to the 12 Apostles, and but really I was just sitting at home in my own misery. Yeah, you know? yeah. So pretty, pretty sad life. And uh, that that led to naturally breaking down relationships or personal relationships, and you know I, I was just delusional. I, I wouldn't um, do right by myself or anyone else. I'd stay in relationships until it was absolutely destroyed, and you know, and that that was my pattern because I just felt so empty and worthless within myself. And you know, my only solution was was alcohol to not feel. Um, then I would wake up and that, that craving would just absolutely kick in again mm. and um, just completely lost myself. Yeah. You know, and so in, in relationships then, um, did they try and help you? Yeah, yeah, some did. Like um, some were just enabling each other. Yeah, no, weren't, yeah. weren't healthy relationships <laughs> by any means, <clears throat> by any means. But I, I guess you, um, you attract where you're at. And later on, yes, yeah. Um, a few years ago, I was with a, a partner that uh, didn't use or drink. You know, didn't have that lifestyle by any means, and and the torment that she went through, seeing me going through what I was going through, and the lies that I told, and the absences, and you know, I would just I'd just lie through my teeth every day, and, and she tolerated it. Um, yeah, it, it always surprises, doesn't it, that people are so forgiving, if you like, mm. of um, such bad behaviour. 
Um, but yeah, it's very difficult if if being dishonest is part of your way of life, then mm. that's it. Yeah, there's no change. Yeah. 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 So, um, you know, obviously work was work was a continuing problem or keeping work. Mm, yes. um, so did that mean you didn't have much money? Was that difficult? It was. It was. Um, I found that um, once I'd finished school, I worked for a little bit, um, didn't hold down the job, and then I started to, to get into um, heavier drugs. Um, I was still with the wrong crowd, and then so the, the crime started to become daily um, to get money to, to fuel the fuel the addiction and alcoholism yep. and um, and that started to become my life as well and so family started to, to disconnect from me, didn't trust me um, I was taking from them uh, I was just um, not a good character by any means I was just a, a desperate and sick person mm. um, that People started to not trust. Family cut me off. Um, not that they wanted to, but they they yeah, had to. They had to, to yeah. protect themselves, yeah. you know. And I, I completely understand that. Didn't at the time. I, I was a victim. Yeah. You know? <laughs> no. you, in my doing? own mind, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, but um, so I became very lonely and and to the point of homelessness. And um, you know, I was chronically addicted. Uh, I was an alcoholic, and I found that. Life had just reached the absolute pits. You know, I was on the street and had nowhere to go. And but it, within that, I felt a sense of a sense of ease that all I had to do each day was just survive. You know, there was no other responsibilities than just to survive. There was mm. no accountability, and but that didn't last for long. You know, I was crash landing in detoxes because I had nowhere else to go, and mm. you know, in and out of rehabs and. So how easy was it to get into detoxes and rehabs? Uh, look, initially when I was 25, the first one was, was an option. Um, you know, the courts basically gave me the option. And uh, so I chose to go to a rehab. Yeah, and that, <laughs> as you that, do. Yeah, as you do. As you do. <laughs> seemed to be a, a bit of a brighter option. Yeah. And um, I, I went there as, I wasn't, I didn't want to stop. I didn't no, want to stop. No. Uh, I wanted to get healthier and I wanted to get well, but I didn't want to stop. Yeah. One of my cake and eat it too. And um, so the cycle goes, I would go to rehab, I would start to feel healthier, uh, the alcoholism would take over and that um, that chatter in the mind and then I would impulsively leave. And that was a bit of a cycle for, I was 25 and that was a cycle up until about four years ago. Right. in and out of rehab so I'd come out I'd do well for a little bit uh, I'd leave rehab fit healthy feeling like a rock star ego shining um, telling the world I've got this and then as soon as uh, heavy emotional despair would come in the form of people passing away or another broken down relationship I'd just go straight to what I knew yeah. and um, so that was my the merry-go-round yeah so uh, what what changed what was the what made the difference that mm made you think it's it's got to get better than this mm. i guess i was with each return to rehab i was just it was getting harder it was getting harder the the hope was diminishing 
I'd tell myself many times at rehab, you know, I'd get there and I'd talk the talk, you know, I was a silver tongue and tell everyone what they wanted to hear and even convince myself that I was ready and I'd had enough and the amount of times I'd said that spiel was, was ridiculous and I guess for me this time I was pretty pretty humble in the last rehab that I went to and I didn't, it wasn't intentional, it was like the, the obsession had left me and I can't explain it. Right, okay. You know, I, I could, like higher power, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. Um, but for me, it was, um, it just happened. It just happened. I was just, um, I didn't have that obsession of the mind where I was justifying just one, you know, and like I had in the past. And even though I was fearful, I was fearful and felt lost, I just did it literally a day at a time. Yeah. You know, and yeah, mm. and it worked. Right. So, did yeah. were you the rehab you were in? Did they direct you to a 12 step program? Did they have one of their own, or what mm. was what was the. They didn't. They didn't. No, they. Um, so, what it was, it was very. It was optional to go to meetings or not. And what I found is, like, I'd heard of, of AA. Uh, many times I'd even gone gone to the odd meeting with friends when I was younger and turned up inebriated and, um, you know, I was just there as a bit of a tag along and just instilled within myself, that's not for me. Yeah. You know, absolutely not for me. Yeah. Um, my ego tells me that I don't need to be here. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it was like that for a long time. And I guess um, the, the saving grace for me was... I decided to, to take some action within my recovery at, at the rehab and I was speaking to a, a friend and she's part of a part of a Christian church and she said, look, jump online, um, there's this recovery group. And um, it took, took her a while to sort of twist my arm and but I ended up jumping on online to this recovery group while I was at the rehab and um, just sort of got to, to meet a couple of people online and it just turns out that a couple of the people on there were, were strong members of, of AA and I really uh, liked what I heard um, from one of the gentlemen. I, I liked his story and I liked the way he, he handled himself and, and yep. I related straight away to his story. Yeah. <clears throat> and I was like, just little alarm bells are going off. It's like, yes, yes, that's me. Been there, done that. And so I actually um, asked for his number and this was about three weeks prior to to finishing up at rehab and so we were just talking over the phone and we'd set it up that the day that I leave rehab that we were going to meet up for a coffee and um, we literally went to an AA meeting that night right and that that was my introduction right wow yeah okay okay well listen we might take another short break uh we've got another song this one's called way out west by the dingoes Some bread living and 
The United Nations International Day of Peace is being marked with a rally on Sunday the 18th of September, 12pm at the State Library in Melbourne. The theme of the rally is Truth, Not War. It's inspired by these words of Julian Assange. If wars can be started by lies, peace can be started by truth. This will be a broad-based, inclusive, colourful and peaceful rally with speeches and music for peace. Joining to show your opposition to AUKUS and the acquisition of nuclear submarines. Take real climate action that recognises the massive emissions caused by wars and arms build-up and to march for truth and press freedom. To drop the prosecution of peacemakers like WikiLeaks publisher Julian Assange. For more details, go to Melbourne for Assange on Facebook. Melbourne for Assange are free CR supporters. Hi, my name's Robbie Thorpe. I'm doing Black and Deadly on Fridays from 11 to 12 o'clock. Looking at all the best uh, black and deadly music, entertainers and performers around this country. Uh, join me then from 11 to 12 Fridays, Community Radio, Thresia, 8.55 on the AM dial. Welcome back. Uh, this is the Living Free Show on 3CR Digital Radio, live streaming on 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. And I'm talking with Matt, and we're talking about alcoholism and his recovery through Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, so, Matt, before the break, uh, you mentioned that you met some AA members. Yes. Um, yep. So where did it go from there? Yeah, right. Okay, so um, yeah, as I said, I've... Got the number of a member. Uh, we started speaking and then teed up for the day that I leave rehab uh, to meet up with him for a coffee. And I, I was very comfortable to do that. And I think the the saving grace for me was that um, when I, I left rehab had that day, uh, and then all of a sudden I'd landed in a unit on my own. Uh, you know, that um, the voice started to talk to me, that, that familiar voice that happens every time that I leave rehab. And so the saving grace was uh, I knew that I was going to meet up with him that afternoon. Uh, and we did. You know, we I'd already started to build that rapport with him and, and I think that was the most important part. You know, I, I felt comfortable in, in getting to know him. And then we went to a meeting that night. And I, I've heard a lot of people say that... Um, you know, they, they dreaded going to their first meeting, but I, I actually felt really excited, really right. excited, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you know, look, I, I was loving it. I was actually bouncing in the doors, and uh, I thought, this is cool, you know, amongst my people, and, um, you know, I'd, he encouraged me to, um, we had a what's called a, a GC at the end of the meeting, and uh, sort of group conscience, and it's where they... Um, you know, basically you put your hands up for service positions yeah. and just encouraged me to put my hand up for whatever. And I, yeah. I didn't even know what I was putting my hand up for. <laughs> but uh, I still did and I got one and it was a literature person and had no idea, but I, I just trusted him. You know, yeah. I trusted his suggestion. I, I could feel that. 
and uh, I was just running off my my gut on a lot of things and I just met some great people there at the first meeting and just walked away there feeling just feeling pumped and connected and so I, I progressed and continued to, to touch base with him each day and, and just sort of check in and you know then it went to the the next level where you know I'd found out about these things called second halves where you go out okay. for dinner yeah. afterwards yeah. And, and things like that and you know initially I'll, I'll be honest initially I felt a little bit um a bit uncomfortable because I, I just didn't understand the lingo and I, I just felt a little bit separated and a bit sheepish and, and found that I had to um manage that myself and um in terms of um I could feel my my self doubt coming in. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was it wasn't anyone or anything around me. It was it was my own stuff, and yeah. to the point where it was noticed and um, someone expressed interest, and uh, I felt their care and actually shared it. And so that was my first memorable experience of of just being vulnerable in the moment and feeling safe in that. And I think for me that was a, a game changer, a next level, you know, connectedness. Yeah. And, um, so yeah, and then um, you know, asked him to become my sponsor, and he started taking me through through the big book, and just immediately related to it. Yeah. Immediately. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. got it's got lots of content, <laughs> that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's that feeling that um, other people have got your best interest at heart. Mm. That they're not trying to uh, rip you off, or they're not trying to do anything. They're just trying. They're just there to be supportive. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah, that's a good yeah. feeling. <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, how did you find it then, going through the steps? I found it well amazing. Yeah. Amazing would be the first word. Uh, <laughs> to to be honest, my um, because I'd done a lot of rehab and things like that, a lot of self exploration. Um, <laughs> I, I thought that um, when I first read the steps. My ego just said to me, yeah, I'll smash this. I'll, I'll get through this, no worries. I'll, I'll tick the boxes. And you know. And then the other side of me thought, well, there's not much information in the steps. Because I, I didn't understand. I, I judged it just to pigeonhole it because I, I didn't understand. Yeah. And when I started to go through the process, you know, it, it all made sense. It, it made sense to me. You know, and the first part was acceptance, which I'd done. Um you know, true acceptance that I, I needed to change and, and this is where it was going to happen. And for me, I could start to see that it was a, a blueprint of living because I was 40 years of age. Uh, I'd never known how to live properly. I'd never paid bills. I'd never gone grocery shopping properly. I, I just, I didn't know how to live life and it, and it scared me. And that's what the steps taught me. Taught me how to live life. Taught me how to live a program of accountability, and that also, if there was meetings that I'd say I was going to go to, and then I didn't go, people would would call me and check up on me. Mm. Yeah, you know, and I'd never had that. I'd yeah. never had that. Yeah, it's being. It's not so much being held to account. It's people going, well, if you're not here, then where are you? Like, yeah. are you okay? Are yeah. you okay? Yeah, yeah, exactly right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah I, I think you know, recovery is about getting back into life and mm. if you don't have any life skills then it's learning life skills yeah and uh, i think a lot of that is about respecting yourself and others mm. so how did it did it change your relationship with your family mm. absolutely absolutely so 
at that that stage when I left rehab, I was my family was still completely disconnected from me. And what I found was they they always had their ear to the ground, so to speak, to hear how I was going, and were very tentative on um, opening the door back up. And what I found was that going through the steps, going through step four, looking at my part in every situation, taking ultimate responsibility. You know, I started to see just how much of a um, alcoholic bomb I was in the middle of of a family that that didn't understand and it was through the amends process and um you know through step eight and then putting in action step nine that that things started to really change for me you know and um asking family if they were willing to to sit down and, and have a discussion with me and and things like that and and for me that's where where life really started to change yeah you know it, it brought back that identity of um, Matt the loving son and Matt the loving brother not the alcoholic or addict and the behaviours attached mm. and to have those heart to heart discussions and without expectation and, and to hear family and how it felt for them was an absolute game changer and where it's at now is you know I'm fully connected with my family again and mm. you know part of my amends was particularly with mum and sister was to always be present and just be reliable and be there and just yep. be a service to them, not take, give. And, you know, I could feel there was, you know, a little bit of anxiety from their side, and understandably, yeah, you yeah. know, but where it's at now, the relationships are strong. And sure, there's some family members that are, I'm still not um, connected with, but that's, you know, it's part and parcel, I think. Yeah, yeah. It's acceptance. It, yeah, that's right. It's acceptance, yeah. Mm. It's, um, yeah, given that in an alcoholic family situation what you listen to what the alcoholic says mm. but you know the alcoholic doesn't do what they say and yeah. so there's this distrust that's right yeah, not walking distrust. the talk yeah yeah <laughs> yeah it takes a while to get over that i think it does yeah, it yeah. does uh so what about relationships now relationships now it's they're honest they're honest and i can feel like di- different levels of feeling safe to be vulnerable in different relationships yeah uh, but for me it's I've never had healthy relationships with other men yeah and so this is new for me and to have that that connectedness mm. on a level of vulnerability but it's not uh, it's fun it's yeah. fun you yeah. know look I, I was, what attracted me to AA is I, I was attracted to the, the guys that look like they were enjoying recovery. They were having fun with it. They were having a laugh. Yeah. And, yeah, I became drawn to them. And now it's, um, you know, we do things together. We go out, we play golf, you know, snorkeling, spearfishing, surfing, you know, all these hobbies, you know, martial arts and things that I'd never done before that that are helping to make my, my life feel fulfilled. You know, mm. and I'm doing that with guys that I can just be myself with, mm. without judgment. And mm. in terms of intimate relationships, you know, I'm still um, still learning how to be in them. You know, I feel like I'm still learning um, how to be mature, how to be honest, how to separate character defects, which I've, you know, I've played out hard throughout my recovery, you know, and get into areas of pain and, and then go back to my sponsor and learn from it and... You know, and, and ultimately just 
try and live life without hurting anyone. You know, that that's the grand plan. Yeah. Yeah. Don't make it worse. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Just live and learn. Yeah. Day at a time. Mm. So what about work? Have you been able to get back into work and what sort of work engages you? Yes. Yeah. So I've had a, I was landscaping for years and then um, unreliably in that aspect. And so I decided to, I wanted to give back. I wanted to give back. So I went and studied, uh, I work, currently work in the AOD sector and I've been in that for about two years. Uh, initially, uh, started working at um, the psych wards at the Alfred and um, helping to integrate people back out into society and learnt a lot about um, a lot about myself, uh, a lot about the, the system, you know, um, learnt not to to bring too much of my own opinions of recovery, yep. you know, and that, that's what I found I was doing. And then I, I moved on from there uh, into the AOD sector at a rehab and I've had a, a couple of job shifts and, and moving around and currently a, a counsellor and a practitioner at another rehab and, you know, it's it feels good to give back. It feels good to give back and, and just have a slight impact on people's journeys. Yeah, yeah. You know, Be so. a resource. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So I've pretty much done a doctorate in life, so... Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Learned it the hard way. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But I, I think the good thing in doing that role is that you've got some street cred with the people you're trying to help, mm. that it's not some academic approach. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. 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 Um, so I guess, um, you know, what's, where to now? What are you, what are you looking mm. forward to? All right. Um, <laughs> So I've I've got a uh, got some time off work, so I've got a holiday booked for next week. Gives a recovery. Uh, so looking forward to that. I'm um, looking at further studies. So that's something that excites me, and and just not overwhelming myself. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm looking forward to continually trying to better myself and see where that takes me. Yeah. You know, be of service to other people and mm. um, take other men through through the big book and and just see where life takes me, I guess. Mm. So I don't have any great expectations, you know, rather than chase life and force outcomes, you know, I'm letting the day come to me now. Yeah. You know, and I find that's, that, yeah. That's, not, that's pleasant, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it is, it is. So uh, that's all I want, just peace. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Um, if anybody would like to find out more about Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, you can call them on 1300 222 or you can go online at aa.org.au for more information on recovery from alcoholism and meetings. Uh, that's about all we've got time for today. So I'd like to thank Matt for sharing his drinking recovery story with us and talking about how Alcoholics Anonymous has helped him. Thank you. Thanks, Bill. Pleasure. Uh, I hope you'll be able to join us again next week when we'll have the first of our two-part feature on a Western Australian drug and alcohol support group called Doors Wide Open. Uh, coming up next, we've got Balanoir, The Spirit of Wire, hosted by Uncle Telgium Choco Edwards. Uh, join Uncle Choco in the Spirit of Wire on a journey of belonging and movement through sing-alongs and yarns. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and stay tuned now for more Radical Radio on 3CR.
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.